What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Welcome back to another episode of Deep Dish Conversations. Season three, I'm your host and creator, Jerome Moore, and we have the executive director of Turk, Lisa Sherman Luna. Welcome. How you doing? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, Thanks I'm, for I'm, having me. No, no, I'm excited for you to be here. I'm excited about the pizza choice that you made. Very um, delicious. And thank you to the Venture Science Center for sponsoring this episode. We thank you and thank you for 312 for the pizza. This is Lisa's first time having 312. She's it already is. dug in. What do you think yes. about it? It's amazing. That's good. Yeah. That's there's, good. I, can, I don't think I can go back to anything but deep dish now. <laughs> Look, well, hey, you put on 20 pounds and you, <laughs> you be like, I, I think I need to go thin crust for about a year. Oh, it's so but, good, uh, though. But no, I'm, I'm excited to have you. I'm excited to like, have our conversation. And so I want to dig right in. Um, but you got to eat with me. Yeah, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going okay. to eat with you. I'm going to eat with you. Trust me, I'm eating. I'm eating. Um, so um, tell us just like how did you get here to Nashville, right? Yeah. And like a little bit of your background and family mm-hmm. history. Uh, I know you're a native of Guatemala. Like mm-hmm. tell us about that. Yeah. So like every immigrant or child of immigrants, that's such a loaded question. Yeah. It's so complicated. But um, my dad is American okay. and he moved to Guatemala in his late 20s and he met my mom there um and so we were raised in guatemala with my mom's side of the family um i lived there until 2001 so i was 17 years old when my family had to move to the united states um so i had a lot of advantages i spoke english i have citizenship um but my family left guatemala which we always imagined would be our home where my parents Mm -hmm. would retire and you know, um, I have nine aunts and uncles in Guatemala, more than 20 cousins, and That's we're all very tight-knit. Yeah. Um, and so we just always thought that that would be our forever home. But uh, in 2001, my youngest sister was kidnapped and rescued um, really violently on our way to school um, by five armed men. Wow. And so my parents just saw that as the last straw. They, they, my dad had been shot before. They've been held at gunpoint multiple times. Um, people had broken into our home when my sisters were home alone. Um, Is that just common for the area, like, mm -hmm. of your home in Guatemala, or was it because your father was American and it was, like, targeted? No, sadly, it's very common. Um, Crime and extortion, um, because people are so desperate. Um, Poverty is just so pervasive. And then in Guatemala, it's a country that experienced a really long, brutal civil war Mm -hmm. um, that ended in... 1996. Um, I remember when the peace treaty was signed. Yeah, not long ago. Yeah. Not long ago. Um, and my parents lived in the middle of that. But sort of the post-conflict era and the, la- the total impunity of um, the Guatemalan military who massacred indigenous Guatemalans right. um, just led to a lot of um, corruption and impunity and crime. Um, so yeah, sadly, it's the reality for most Guatemalans. Right. Um, we just had the privilege of being able to leave when it got too hard. Right. Um, which is what motivates me to do this work is just knowing the difficult choice that people make to leave home. It's right. not easy. It's not what my family wanted. Right. Um, but uh, but ultimately, like you want your kids to be safe, right. and you'll do anything you can to make sure that happens. So, seventeen years old. What? So, what city did you all move to? So we moved to Nashville. You moved straight mm-hmm. to Nashville. Straight to Nashville. Yeah. So, like. Like, did your dad have roots here already? Or? Kind of. Um, so my dad was a missionary, which is what led him to Guatemala. So uh-huh. our church is Otter Creek Church. And so okay. that had been the sponsoring church um, that had employed my dad for 
38 years. He just retired last week. Oh, well, congratulations to him. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that was it. We don't have family here or anything. It was right. just more of those ties of having right. that church community. So mm-hmm. what was that transition like? You, you know, like, yeah, you spoke English in, like, in the home mm-hmm. probably, but in Guatemala is like mm-hmm. all Spanish yeah. or maybe an indigenous like dialect of, of Spanish. Um, you hear like did you did you did you finish high school here? Yeah. And what was like like Oh <laughs> it was so hard, Jerome. It was so hard. I it was my senior year of high school. Last I year. went to a mostly white private school okay. on scholarship. Um, and the joke at the school was that between me and another girl who is half Honduran and half American, we made up the one minority at the school. Um, wow. and I hated it. I really hated it. I felt so out of place, so different. Everybody was welcoming and kind, right. but it was just such a culture shock, you yeah. know, of having left my family, my culture, my friends, my high school, and then to be, you know, your senior year of high school, a completely new class. Right. Um, it's like yeah. it didn't even count. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like you there for one year and then like. Yeah, I even went back to Guatemala for my, for my class's graduation to walk alongside them. They let me walk oh, wow. and be there to be a part of it. Cause you know, it was a small school in Guatemala. So we had, mm-hmm been together most of our lives um so that to me was like my real graduation was going back home and doing that wow Mm -hmm. so what were so what were some of those like challenges because the so i had i've had the i won't say privilege but i know the culture shock of like going to a country when I did Peace Corps, right? Mm. I went to Paraguay. Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. And so, <laughs> didn't know a lick of Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> right? Novice level. But just, the, you know, you don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's welcoming, but it's still like you're trying to figure it out, right? And I, that was, I was 24, mm-hmm. right? And it was like, if you, in, 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 at least you had the language. I didn't even have that, right? Yeah. But it's still the people around you are just, you're unfamiliar. You didn't grow up with them. You don't really know mm-hmm. new city, new town. And so what was, like, some of the, like, things that you really had to adjust to that was so different from Guatemala to here in Nashville? Yeah. I think maybe the first was, like, being the, the, the brown kid or the brown mm. person. Right. Um, a lot of people assumed I was Mexican or would make jokes about, like, being Mexican. It was just really weird to stand out right. so much. Because um, in Guatemala, I'm just... Guatemala and you know right. <laughs> nothing nothing right. sets me apart um so I think that was that that is kind of a real was right. a real culture shock was just sort of that experience how did your parents or did your parents help have that conversation with mm-hmm. you at all or what you might experience that may be different and um, was it your mom first time in the states as well or has she been she had been to the united states like visiting okay. in the past um she had never really lived in the united states and so it was really hard for her especially being away from her family she's very right. close to her sisters and my abuelita who passed away um but that was really hard i think she also experienced the like feeling like you don't fit in and then right. just our life experiences are so different from your average American, right? right? The, the way of life, mm-hmm. the things that we experienced or saw. And so it was just really hard to like relate to people, right. especially being a teenager. Right, right. You know, the things that teenagers here were so concerned about were not things that mattered in Guatemala. Right. What car you drive, you know, the brand of clothes you wear, right. like... You know, we worked with children who pick up trash in the garbage dump. Right. Um, so it's just hard to, like, relate, and everything felt so trivial here, yeah. you know, especially in the environment I was in, which was the more um, kind of white, Green Hills, Brentwood environment. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know what that was like. I grew up here, I, but he just didn't go, right? Because mm-hmm. as you probably found out, everybody is kind of, like, like diversely segregated in their own community yeah. bubble and like like you can literally grow up here and not go to Brentwood or Green Hills because if you don't know anybody over there like why if you don't go to school over there why would what I why would I need to commute all the way over there right yeah um so you went to college 
Mm -hmm. uh, what what college did you go to? I went to Abilene Christian in Texas. Okay, so um, yeah. I was gonna ask you. So, because I wasn't sure, did you think about ever going back to Guatemala mm -hmm. for college? I did not. I think it was always, um, you know, the the kidnapping was just very traumatic. Mm -hmm. I I did get married in Guatemala. Okay. So did my sisters. Um, but to imagine right. going back and and living there permanently after what happened, it just, I, I don't think that I could ever be at peace, you know? Right, yeah. Maybe now that so much time has passed, right. but I think you kind of grow up in Guatemala with a sixth sense of like mm -hmm. safety. Right. Um, always watching who's following you home, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Those street smarts that you have. Street smarts, yeah. yeah. You never roll your windows down right. if you're stuck in traffic, right. you know, that kind of Which thing. Which are very different. Um, like there than here, right? Mm -hmm. um, just it's just it's totally different. It's just mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. totally like having experience living like far as just just Spanish speaking countries in in Paraguay and Costa Rica. It is is like one of the things that like so like knife crime, right? Mm -hmm. Is is huge in Paraguay and Costa Rica too because they can't right the bear arms is different here, right? And so one of the things that, uh, like, our uh, safety, um, security safety director was like, hey, if you ever get on the bus, and they especially told this to our women mm -hmm. um, that were Peace Corps volunteers, like, if you ever get on the bus, try to sit on the, the outside and not the inside because yeah. people can, if you sit on the inside, you can be trapped and a knife can be stuck to you. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, I never, like... I've never thought about that, like on riding the MCA here, like that could yeah. that could be a possibility. So just even just it's just it's just different, and so mm -hmm. you have to have different awareness. Which you know, once you get it, it never leaves, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That was that, that's just like it's a culture shock in itself to have to think about crime in a different mm -hmm. way. So get to Texas. Did you did you find your community in Texas? Did you mm -hmm. what did you start to learn about America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's funny you ask because I've always, until I found Turk, felt out of place. Like, felt like wow. America was not for me. Really? <laughs> yeah, I swore. I mean, after that senior year of high school, I swore I'd never live in Nashville. Um, yeah, I'd never live Texas. in the United yeah. States. Um, yeah, Texas was more just like, I got a scholarship. You know, my I, I met my husband in high school, so he was going to ACU. Um but, you know, my goal in life since I came to the United States was always I'm going to live abroad. I'm not going to live here. And so I fought that so hard. Um, and I lived in London and Senegal and we traveled everywhere. And I, my whole life I'd always imagined, like, my life, the rest of my life would be abroad. abroad. Yeah. Um, not Guatemala, just because of the history um, there. Obviously, visiting a lot with family, but I just imagined myself somewhere else because I never felt like I found community here wow. until I found Turk. Wow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's. So London, Senegal. Were, so were you studying? Were you like? No. So just... I I have a master's in um, armed conflict. Okay. Um, so just sort of. Growing up in Guatemala in that context of the Civil War and mm -hmm. post-conflict recovery and um, peace justice and things like that, I just always had an interest in working in other countries that were experiencing um, armed conflict or yeah. recovering from armed conflict. So that was my, what my master's was in. And then I worked at Amnesty International, um, which is a human rights organization. Yeah, I always, I, 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 I always wanted to work there when I was in my international development mm -hmm. thing. I was yeah. like, man, I was always applying. And you and I are so much alike. Yeah, like, <laughs> we, we, try, we are. Like, more than you know, we yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, I had always dreamed of working at Amnesty since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I was so shocked and surprised when I got an internship, and then I was able to move my way up and became a researcher and worked in West Africa. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. It was amazing work um but i mean on the one side my husband was like ready to come back he's nashville boy grew up here same house since oh, he was born okay um so he was anxious to get back but then also i realized that i was occupying space that should be occupied by folks from those countries so mm -hmm. i lived in senegal and was working on liberia and sierra leone mm -hmm. um and I wasn't investing in those countries the way that someone from those countries should be taking that role and doing yeah. that job. 
And I, I started to feel a little bit icky of like, I'm just here for, you know, a few years. Right. Hopefully we'll do some good work. But the people who are from this country who are going to raise their families here right. and live here, those are the people that should be what, doing this what, work. What gave you that like that type of sense of like thinking? Because that that just doesn't happen, right? That yeah. takes, that's a journey. <laughs> I know. That's a journey to think like, hey, like to to to, to put other people before you mm -hmm. and understand like the space that you're taking up. Like mm -hmm. when did that when did that, that consciousness and that thinking mm -hmm. start to start to happen? I think, I mean, I think it happened even just during my master's program of like yeah. a lot of the theory and talk around like development or, yeah. you know, post-conflict recovery and the role of uh, the international community in those mm -hmm. countries. Like that was always sort of a topic. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you're young and you're studying that, you think still about like the kind of work you want to do and yeah. where you want to be. But I think for me, maybe it was being in Liberia and Sierra Leone and meeting the incredible activists that were doing mm -hmm. the work um, who, you know, and just kind of what it was like to be an expat in those countries and realizing like you're contributing to an economy that's not sustainable, mm -hmm. you know, when you're paying $300 a night to stay at a crummy hotel right. and you're like, you're inflating the economy. Right. Um, and then there's already just incredible people here who know the culture, who know the language, right. um, who know the politics, right. um, which sometimes it's good to be separated from that. In mm -hmm. fact, Amnesty for a long time had a policy that you couldn't be from the country that you were working in mm -hmm. because they wanted sort of that neutrality, right. um, which I think can be important. But yeah, for me, it was just realizing like, I'm not going to live here long term. Right. So it should be someone who's who's gonna raise send their kids to school here, raise right. their kids here, whose future is impacted by the decisions that are being made. What did you learn about like your culture, right? Because in all those different places, mm -hmm. they maybe never seen or met anybody that was from Guatemala, right? Mm -hmm. I know during my travels, nobody thought I was from America. Yeah. <laughs> nobody. You're Afro-Brazilian, you're yeah. from Cuba, um, anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> anywhere else but the United States. Mm -hmm of America, right? The continent of Africa, somewhere, one of those countries there, right? So what, like, what did you learn about your culture and what people thought about who you were, mm -hmm. like, before, you know, you got a chance to, like, introduce yourself to them? Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I get the same every time I travel is nobody assumes Guatemala. They always assume Mexico. I've even gotten Moroccan or Filipino. Like, when you're sort of, like, racially ambiguous, like, yeah. people don't really know what and of course, most people don't even know where Guatemala is, so they right. wouldn't even know to guess that. Um, so I get, I get, I get that a lot of just people assuming any anywhere in the world where there's brown people that right. might be so, from so there. So, 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 do do you even get that? Did you even get that here in the states? Like, like, what are you? Mm -hmm. Where are you from? Like, how do you handle those questions? Or how did, did you handle so those? So I know that that question can be really controversial for a lot of reasons. One mm -hmm. is like. For a lot of folks who've grown up here, obviously, like, you know, that's insulting. Right. For me, I've always loved that question because then I get to talk about Guatemala, oh, okay. which is my home and yeah. my identity. Right. So that question doesn't bother me in the same way that it would bother someone who was raised here, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, went to school their whole life here, mm -hmm. who sees themselves as American. Mm -hmm. But I think because my identity is so tied up in being Guatemalan, um, yeah, that question, does, I, I love that question. Because yeah. then I get to say, well, actually, I'm from Guatemala, and this is my home, and it's so beautiful, you <laughs> right, know, and I get to right. talk about it. Um, but I guess it all depends on the intention behind the question. Yeah, which you you never know. Well, you can feel it. Like, I think I think you can you can sense it, mm -hmm. people's energy and how they approach you on it. Mm -hmm. And I probably tell people all the time, you're not sure, just ask people, where do, where do they call home? Yeah. You can't go wrong with it. Where, where do you call home? Well, yeah. home is Guatemala, but I'm, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States, too. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm living in Senegal or wherever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, I know one of, the, one of the things you had brought up is, like, that, that sense of, like, people that are living here could be doing the work. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I realized I had to self-reflect on, <clears throat> and, um, and, I was, and I was championing it for a long time, and then I had to really self-reflect. When I was living in these other countries, like, immersed in community, my mental health was better. You know, because then you had to deal with, like, the racism and discrimination mm -hmm. and the just on the level that the United States, like, permeates it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, ha-ha, like, I don't have to worry about that. I can just go throughout my day and just mm -hmm. do my work and stuff like that. 
um, and then when I was in China, I was like, I, I was like, man, I'm not. You when you you know things are just happening in a country that you're living in, and you're like, like I should be okay with that, but it's like, well, like. I don't really have to use my voice. It's not happening to me, mm-hmm. right? So I had to really, like, do that self-work. Like, wow, like, I wonder if that's how other immigrants and refugees may feel when they come to the United States. Mm-hmm. And, like, hey, like, hey, this is the tax that I pay um, of living in another country, but I'm not having to deal with the problems that's going on or have been going on in my country. So I had to do that work and say, ah, maybe I need to, like, remove myself from that yeah. and really, like, come back home and, like, I can use my voice if and, and not really lean into that comfortability of even though we all want you know that kind of less mental stress, mm-hmm. but it's like I had to I had to change that thought and like I wasn't running away from anything, but it was like I had to recognize that like well if I wouldn't be silent in the United States, I just can't just accept being silenced in another country when I know similar harm is being done to people yeah. uh, that even may look like me or have mm-hmm. like darker skin. So like that I had to I had to work on myself and really ask myself that question is not just being comfortable like well you know mm-hmm. I'm American it's my privilege I can just mm-hmm. go on about my business right yeah. and so that's that's why I had to ask you like when did that hit you when you was uh, living abroad mm-hmm. in Senegal uh, and really understanding like uh, maybe this is not the space or oh, I'm taking those space from people who can actually you know who's going to be raising the kids that live here going through it and I'm really I'm like I got close proximity to it but uh, I know I can leave yeah you know exactly yeah, yeah. And so, um, when did you come back to Nashville? 2015. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Not too long yeah, ago. Yeah, we were living in New York. Um, I was working um, with an organization that lobbies the United Nations Security Council okay. on behalf of children in armed conflict. Um, and my husband and I were expecting a baby, and we just realized, like, he's a teacher. I'm a nonprofit worker. We can't raise a kid in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Nashville is just the New York of the South almost now. I know. Yeah. Now it's like insane how expensive it is here. But, you know, at the time we were living in a one bedroom mm-hmm. and it just the idea of like raising a kid there. So we, um, I very reluctantly moved to Nashville at, at that time and thought, what in the world am I going to do in Nashville? I have this, you know, international degree. I've worked, you know, for Amnesty and all these places. Like, right. what work am I going to find? Right. And I was so lucky because then I found her. Yeah, so like, so let's talk about that. Like, you moved back, you found Turk, you you found your community. Mm-hmm. Like, what was that experience? Like, what brought, what? How did you get introduced to Turk? Yeah, I just started asking around, you know, friends or people that I knew to make introductions to me mm-hmm. with, you know, other kind of nonprofits in town that might mm-hmm. have, you know, a, a link to the international community. Mm-hmm. Um, since that is where I always felt most at home. Um, so I got connected to Turk that way and sort of started to have a conversation with folks from there. And then um, a position opened up and I applied. And, um, yeah, the rest is kind of history. Yeah, <laughs> I've been there for exe- seven years you're now. You're the executive director now. I'm you're executive r- Running the show <laughs> with an awesome team. Yes. And, yeah. I, and that's the other thing. Never say never because I always said I would never run a nonprofit. And now here I am. <laughs> I'm learning my lesson. Well, it's like, it's like when you and – I, and I had this, like – you know, when you live in all of these other countries around the world, like it's it's like a bug. Like it's like it's different and it's it's exciting and you're exploring and then like you come back home and it's like or in your case your second home and it's like you know, it's just not the same. I need I need to mix it up. But then you you, you find like that niche that like you can use all your experiences and make like a city and a community better. So I'm glad like that you found Turk and Turk found you. Yeah. Right. I love the work that Turk does. I really do, and even being from here, because I was in my you know North Nashville Black community bubble, I didn't realize like the immigrant or refugee population that existed here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got back from the Peace Corps, because um, I realized like man, now I get it. Like mm-hmm. new Americans coming here, I like I need to be a part of whatever I yeah. can do, right? And so um, I did some uh, adult literacy with New Americans for the National Public Library, mm-hmm. went out to schools and did like computer literacy with adults from different countries that, you know, you need to fill like job applications and yeah. language skills, ESL for Salvation Army. Um, um, I was a startup director for Let's Play, um, mm-hmm. language, English, language English through sports. Oh, I think, uh, yeah. that's fun, yeah. And, um, 
Uh, and so I, re- I was really like wanted to like embrace it because I, I now I kind of had that feeling. Oh, like I know now how like your language can just your language not knowing can kind of strip you of your character and your yeah. ability and your identity. Your identity. You can't make jokes with people when you don't speak the same language. Yeah, is and then like employment, right? Mm-hmm. So these are things like that I really I might have knew about on the surface, but really didn't think about or like you know just like we're in the South, especially yeah. in Nashville where it's like English only, predominantly many many years ago it was really English first and English only type of city. Um, and I just really didn't wrap my head around it, like, it, in my 20s, in my teens, in my 20s, until I came back from Peace Corps, and I really, like, d- dug in into that community. So yeah. um, I came across Turk, and then I was like, oh, this is this is amazing what you all are doing. Mm-hmm. So for people who don't know, can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what, what Turk is and what it does? Yeah. Well, so Turk, I'll tell you a little bit about Turk and Turk Votes. So Turk was founded in 2003, Um, when a bunch of um, organizations that provided services to the immigrant and refugee came together in a successful campaign to get undocumented folks' driver's license. So a lot of people don't realize, but for a little while, Tennessee provided driver's license to undocumented folks, um, which is such a lifeline. You can drive to work and feel safe and be able to show identification to law enforcement and not be afraid of getting deported. And so they just realized the power and the need for having that kind of coalition. So Turk was born out of that. um, And it really is about um, having immigrants and refugees lead the work um, and that those most directly impacted should be, um, you know, guiding our campaigns, deciding the kind of work that we do. and it's really grown since then. You know, our our vision and our mission is to ensure that um, we can create communities where everyone can belong, right? Mm-hmm. Where people of all nationalities, all immigration statuses, all races um, can belong and thrive and have opportunities that help them do that. Um, but it's really about um, working with communities directly and um, helping them to uh, grow into their leadership and the power that they already have and ensuring that they're um, influencing policy. Um, so really wanting to create a Tennessee, yeah, that, that recognizes that we're stronger when everyone can succeed and have those opportunities. So we, so that's the, kind of our charity side. We provide direct services as well to okay. communities. Um, but again, more from that um, transformational model rather mm-hmm. than transactional, but seeing our services work as an opportunity to do community organizing right. um, and build power. Um, so we provide English classes, legal services. Um, we're doing a lot of COVID vaccine outreach right now. Um, you know, a lot of um, we, we have a network of domestic workers across the state mm-hmm. and we're um, organizing right now CPR training for them. Right. Um, but again, all of that is for the model of like, how are we building power for our right. communities? How are our communities um, sharing their stories and shaping decisions that are yeah. being made about them? Um, but we also have a political arm, which is Turk Votes. Okay. Um, so it's been around since 2018. Um, and that is just recognizing that we needed a new political tool that um, we needed to be able to uh, influence elections and right. make sure that our people are um, accessing the polls, right. mobilizing to the polls, and that we're electing progressive leaders who are going to stand up for our communities mm-hmm. and not just stand up for them, but actually create opportunities. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so I want to unpack this. Yeah. A lot. This is where <laughs> the conversation gets deep, right? <laughs> And really, like, put the focus on um, the national immigrant and the refugee community. Now, um, as a as a as a Black American, a lot of times in 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 in, in our community, you know, we see the amazing like togetherness mm-hmm. that, um, like, when um, Latinx folks come to America, they like they start businesses, mm-hmm. like they 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 like practicing community economics, mm-hmm. right? Thriving, um, and, and I think it's it's something that um, that Black folks like we we wanna do a model in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but for some reason like we just I don't know if it's barriers we can't we can't get together, but like we know that our dollar <laughs> doesn't circulate in our community like the Asian dollar or mm-hmm. like the Hispanic dollar, right? The Latinx dollar, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, 
And it made me think like, okay, what, like, when 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 folks come to the United States, we say, or this, you know, to the United States, like, oh, it's diversity, it's a melting pot. But it seems like it's more of come here and then like find your community and mm-hmm. and stay with stay within your community. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to ask, like, what does Turk do to to empower that, find your community, but yeah. also connect with other communities that may not be Guatemalan and or uh, Honduran or mm-hmm. uh, Mexican, mm-hmm. um, and try to like. Talk to white folks, black folks, mm-hmm. or folks from other countries within your own kind of your Central American country or well area or yeah. South American like continent yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, so we do a lot of work around that. So recognizing okay, especially that being in Tennessee, the demographics just aren't there for us to have the kind of power that we need to mm-hmm. really make transformation for our mm-hmm. communities. You know, the state legislature is what it is, and right. we're going to continue to build the infrastructure to ensure that we can um, break the supermajority and, and elect progressive uh, leaders to the legislature, but that's going to take efforts by all of us. Right immigrant community itself can't transform the legislature um, on its own. So, yeah, so I mean, the first place is we are a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational coalition. So we don't just serve um, one community, but really trying to recognize, help our, the people that we work with recognize that the forces that try to divide us, that is very purposeful, right. right? That is about like keeping black and brown communities down. And coalition work is difficult. It is coalition hard. work is difficult, <laughs> is but hard. that's also why we yeah. work, you know, with individuals and individual communities and just try and create campaigns or events or mm-hmm. our organizing work that brings people together around mm-hmm. a common problem because at the end of the day our communities face a lot of the same problems, right? right. Because it's white supremacy that right. is harming our communities that is keeping us from you know being able to succeed and thrive and have everything we need um to be able to like raise happy healthy you know families and so um so yeah so we hold those spaces we do political education Mm -hmm. we just finished um, a whole series on anti-blackness in the Mm -hmm. immigrant community um, and we talked to our members about what that's le- what it is mm-hmm. and how it shows up because mm-hmm. it is very prevalent in immigrant right. communities. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And I think what I love is sort of some of the stories that have come out of that. So I think about um, one of our members, Hinda. She's a refugee from Somalia. And we met her a few years back um, when she was struggling to get her green card. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been like years and the process just wasn't moving and she wasn't sure what to do. So our team helped her um, secure the green card and she started to become involved in our work, showing up to our events, um, advocating for refugee resettlement, sharing her story, coming to the legislature. Um, we eventually helped her become a U.S. citizen. Um, and then when she was going to the polls in 2020, it was like a really long line that right. day. She was tired. She'd worked a full day. And she was like, I really want to leave. I don't want to be right. here. And then she texted our organizer and she was like, but you know what? I'm going to stay and I'm going to stay and I'm going to vote for all of those families who were separated at the border, mm. you know? Yeah. And like... She, for her to have like met undocumented families right. and have learned about their story and how similar their story was to her own story as a right. refugee. Because sometimes what happens is folks try to pit refugees against undocumented folks. They say, well, mm. refugees have a legal status. They came here the right way. They you know, um, are fleeing persecution or violence. Undocumented folks are just breaking the law. And so there's this right. narrative that tries to pit those communities right. against each other. What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, creator and host of Deep Dish Conversations. And I know y'all enjoying this episode, but just real quickly, make sure y'all hit the subscribe button and hit that notification so you can be notified when we drop new episodes and interviews. All right. I appreciate all love and support. And let's get back to this episode. How So how do you like combat, for example, there might be immigrants or refugees that feel like, well, you all are, are making it worse for, for us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, how do you how do you combat that finger pointing when, you know, like, you might even be from the same country, right? Yeah. Um, but I feel like your behavior is, is making me and my family and the ones that, yeah. like, are, are the good ones, right? That look happens bad. a lot. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> like yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that happens a lot. And even thinking about like the the wedges that people tried to drive between like Black American community mm-hmm. and immigrant community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we try to meet people where they're at and try right. to create opportunities for discussion and um, through our organizing work and like popular right. education tools right. and thinking about ways that people can share their story with each other and then they can realize like you know oh i'm you know i'm a refugee i came here um you know through legal means but these families from guatemala are fleeing the same thing i was fleeing right right? and they just don't have an opportunity so it's it's just about like meeting people where they're at and creating spaces it's a process it doesn't happen overnight so i had to really do self-work once i like once I left the country, my 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 thoughts on immigration changed. I wouldn't say they changed mm-hmm. for the for the better either. Yeah. And because it was due to my blackness, right? Mm-hmm. I would go to these places specifically. I would go to like Philippines. I would mm-hmm. go to Costa Rica, Paraguay. I was in these places that like had black folks too, right? Mm-hmm. And like I would get just treated differently, or realize that black folks in those countries were getting treated differently. Until I realized, until they realized, like I was American, right? I then I get that privilege. Mm-hmm. But it made me think, like, wow, okay, like this is this is this is how they really feel about me, about us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come to the to the United States, right? Then, but they they act a different way. But mm-hmm. this is like, so it made me, it made me like, it really feels salty mm-hmm. a little bit. And then, uh, but I put that behind me. And then when I came back, and I was doing a lot of ESL stuff. Um, and it was it was mostly uh, Latinx community from like from from Guatemala, mm-hmm. Mexico, maybe Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, mostly women, right? It seemed like it's mostly women that's taking these like mm-hmm. English learning classes. But like they would bring me food. We came really mm-hmm. close, right? And then um, what was one class in particular? It was like Jerome Harome, you know, because <laughs> you, know, you don't want to say the J Harome, right? And um, they asked me, they was like, why are black Americans like so lazy, right? Why are they like, right? Yeah. So they got comfortable enough for yeah. them to feel like they can they can ask me that. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. let's have this discussion. Like, like, and really try to figure out like how much they knew mm-hmm. about the black American experience, yeah. historically, the barriers and all mm-hmm. these things. And I realized like, okay, y'all don't you you're not learning this yeah. in your home country. You are you just you just come here and you you, you're learning about the propaganda and the media. Yeah, you're getting the same mes- negative messages. Right, you get right? the same negative yeah. messages. And so then that's when I realized, like, after, you know, I try to give them history lessons and say, hey, you know, kind of mm-hmm. the, one of the primary, if not the primary reason, like, you're able to leave mm-hmm. there and come here is because of black Americans and the fighting yeah. civil rights and all that mm-hmm. stuff, which they didn't really, really know. And I'm trying to communicate this in, like, English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because the language again, right? Yeah. And so, uh, and so then I realized, like, oh, okay, you just, just don't know. And I can see now how you can be indoctrinated with this thinking mm-hmm. and this white supremacist thought process because you just don't know and you just, you're just uneducated about it. And that's yeah. not your fault, right? Yeah. And I, you can't, I can't expect the Guatemala and the Mexican, you know, education system to teach mm-hmm. you about, like, our history here mm-hmm. in the United States, specifically Black mm-hmm. history, because what would that, you know, what would that kind of accomplish unless you yeah. study it going into yeah. higher education? And so, um, so it really changed, but it, it really changed a lot, but it still just gave me a different point of view of like, you know, kind of filling out sometimes immigrant refugees, especially if we had the same skin complexion on, yeah. on, on how they, it was it did they see us as separate? Mm-hmm. Like, did they yeah. see me as I'm a black American and I'm an Ethiopian and our experiences and our mm-hmm. cultures and what we go through are completely different. Or yeah. did they, or was it something like, Hey, look, my black brother, my black sister, like, Hey, we in this together and mm-hmm. like, let's, let's talk. And so it just, that really, but that really gave me a different experience and made me have a different thought process about um, the immigrant and uh, refugee community that we mm-hmm. have here and just blackness. So what is that conversation yeah. like? Um, and, and I'm going to put this out there. It's coming soon. So, but we're probably, I'm probably going to produce um, uh, uh, a, a series on anti-blackness in the immigrant refugee community. Probably going to be like a panel. So yeah. you might, I might be calling you yeah. back and it's going to be a big production. Yeah, no, that's Don't so that. great. But, um, and so, because I think it's something that I think a lot of organizations like Turk and like Workers' Dignity and some of these mm-hmm. other uh, organizations that intentionally work with immigrants or refugees or mm-hmm. both. 
um, are starting to have a conversation um, and trying to like trying to combat that yeah. and figure out how that conversation is. So how's that yeah. been in the Turk experience? And, yeah. Well, first of all, anti-blackness is global, right? right? So. Even if folks haven't learned about African-American history in this country, like there are ways that anti-blackness shows up in their own home countries. I didn't grow up learning much about the Garifuna, which is the black Guatemalan population that lived along the coast. And there was a lot of anti-blackness in Guatemalan, um, in, in, in just Guatemalan culture and life and politics, right? A lot of, um, a lot of discrimination against, against indigenous populations as well. But you see it if you've watched the news lately on the Ukraine, you see it in the way that, you know, African students were kept from boarding the train um, to get out of yeah. out of the Ukraine. You see it in the way the media talks about the Ukraine, right? right. As if like these are civilized people who I can't believe this is happening, right? But what about all of the other conflicts and wars and, and, the, and the conflicts as us as Americans yeah, have, bring upon yeah countries on the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's why I cringe sometimes. It's like... Yeah, or Guatemala. Yeah, or Guatemala. The United States assassinated our democratically elected president because he was giving the land back to the people. <laughs> if it wasn't Russia, maybe it wouldn't be, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like maybe because that is, but like, that's why I cringe. Like, mm, like we can't, mm -hmm. we can't pick and choose. Yeah. We shouldn't pick and choose, but eh, yeah. I, it's like, do we really want to have that talk? Because like, it's okay if 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 we condemn if we condemn Russia like then we have to look at ourselves mm -hmm. and then what benefits are we willing to give up right mm -hmm. to not impede on other people's countries mm -hmm. in their in their society mm -hmm. right because yeah. we benefit from it whether we know it or not or whether we recognize it or not mm -hmm. the harm that our government we benefit from it it allows us to have the comfortabilities the amenities mm -hmm. that other countries. Mm -hmm. Are not able to have because of infrastructure and because of things just war torn mm -hmm. and just just unstableness, mm -hmm. right? That 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 is brought upon them by other world powers, mm -hmm. right? And so it's a, a finally yeah, like people. If we're gonna talk about, it, let's talk about it. And that like, let's not just pick and choose. Yeah, but exactly. That's, that's a, that could be a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's so pervasive. It's a global disease mm -hmm. and evil, and you even see it amongst you know, refugees from parts of Africa, right? You see the the sort of anti, the internalized anti-blackness or the way they view African-American communities, you know, comparing the, their own communities. And so it's a real tool that is used by white supremacists to like keep sure. communities down, to keep us from, um, fr from, from fighting for, for, you know, opportunities for all of us. So, um, our movement, the immigrants' rights movement, has for a long time had an anti-blackness problem, even in the way that when you talk about immigration reform, what's the first thing that comes to mind? It's brown people, right? right? But it's actually black immigrants who are the most Deported. impacted mm -hmm. by our immigration system, mm -hmm. right? They experience more arrest, longer incarceration periods, more deportation, mm -hmm. ill treatment. It's like, so really our movement as a whole has to center black immigrants. Right. Um, to, because we're not going to change our immigration system. We're not going to have, you know, the the future that we envision for the immigrants' rights movement if we're not doing that. Right. Um, so it's definitely a discussion that's happening constantly, and, and it's evolving. I mean, even in the way that, you know, it used to be okay to say we're a nation of immigrants. Right. But now that's not okay to <laughs> no, say, no, right? Because no, no. it, race, it yeah. erases the experience of black Americans, black Americans yeah. and indigenous Americans. Right. And so it's, you know, I think immigrants and the immigrants' rights movement has... Um, put themselves like to the proximity of whiteness because it's right. to their benefit, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, luckily there are conversations happening and shifts being made and, you know, there's a long way to go. Um, even for Turk, like we've right. started to be more intentional about ex unpacking anti-blackness within the organization and within mm -hmm. our movement. And there's so much more that I'm excited to do. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's it should be really at the core of any organization is I how would, you combat I that. I would love, and I was so, when I was living in China, I was able to meet more people from all over the world than I, any place I've mm -hmm. ever been. Because people, for some reason, everybody's just coming to China. I like, yeah. I could probably say, I'd, I'd be so, I, 
I at least know at least one or two people that's living somewhere every corner of the earth just because like of living in China for two years, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the and so one of the things I was doing there, they kind of was like a a catalyst to this. It was I was having these roundtable talks, mm -hmm. film roundtable talks. Uh, with Americans and like our different experiences being black and white living in China is it privileged to that um, but then I started having conversations with um, um, brothers and sisters from the continent of Africa right and and while we have maybe animosity towards each other as black Americans if I've never been to the continent of Africa if you've never been to America how can you not like me? And I, wh wh what reasons do you have to not like me and vice versa, right? And we started unpacking that just in our personal conversations because I was, I really wanted to know, right? And what it came from was just like propaganda or like, yeah. or, well, I heard, or I heard somebody say this and therefore, or maybe just even one interaction yeah. with an American or an African mm -hmm. that just gave you this negative perception about all of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I would love um, for Turk or be a part of conversation with Turk if Turk brought in black immigrants or refugees to talk with like black Americans mm -hmm. together yeah. and like and what that would like just be honest like hey this is how I feel and yeah. this is what I think and why but why though where yeah. is that coming from yeah. uh, if I've never been to Ethiopia if I've never been to Guatemala mm -hmm. if I've never been to yeah. these places and never I don't I don't I don't know you but why do I feel this way about you? Mm -hmm. And we never, I've never had a proper introduction to your culture, mm -hmm. who you are, what you stand for, and your issues, your problem, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's just, it's just, and I think yeah. a lot of it is a lot, a lot of self hate, you know. Just yeah. Well, and hearing you talk, it just reminds me of what I saw in Liberia, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a country that was created or founded for, for former slaves. And to so, go back to, yep. But the people who are in power in Liberia are folks who have ties to America. And what do they do? They pass policies, they create systems that uphold white supremacy. And mm -hmm. so indigenous Liberians are you know, facing the same chains that folks, that, mm -hmm. that black folks here in America face. And so mm -hmm. we're perpetrating those same systems um, all over the world. And so, yeah, it's incredibly, it, it's just incredibly eye-opening to see like black Americans in Liberia in power and the way that they um, upheld white supremacy um, against their own people, right? And I might be, and I try to echo this a lot, just because it has white and white supremacy don't mean you can't be a person of color mm -hmm. and not carry white yeah. supremacy mannerisms, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that self-hate. Mm -hmm. um, that white supremacy perpetuating that same thing on people that look like you just mm -hmm. because you have a different type of privilege. Like, it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it, it can be, it's an indoctrination. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a, literally a mental indoctrination mm -hmm. that it can be imposed um, on anybody. Right, if you wanted to, but you have to be yeah. intentional about stopping it and recognizing it. So I'm glad like Turk is having that that conversation yeah. because I know um, just being an organizer and knowing like all the people and you know because we're a small really like mm -hmm. community organizers is a small community right. We all like we have one degree of separation like oh like oh you from Guatemala do you know Jorge Sat mm -hmm. you know Diaz Salad yeah. you know like oh hey he talks he talks to me about Guatemala all the time and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so it's really good to just share and hear the information, but also be like, be able to call Jorge and say, hey, Jorge, uh, an undocumented, newly arrived Guatemalan just hit my car. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't have insurance. Like, yeah. and I, I don't want to get law enforcement involved, but however, I would love to get my yeah. deductible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And this is a real story, right? This yeah. is real, I would love to get my deductible, like, for state form so I can at least mm -hmm. have anything else. Yeah. And, like, who was able to mitigate, mitigate that situation without, like, it took me knowing and understanding, mm -hmm. right? And it took him knowing people and being able mm -hmm. to, like, speak the language because the guy spoke, a like, an indigenous mm -hmm. Guatemalan language, which threw me off. I'm yeah. like, well, I, that's not Spanish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right? And he had just been there. He was working the, like, construction job mm -hmm. with my car was parked. And it's like, well, look, man, I don't want to. I know how this goes. Yeah. You don't have to be. I'm not one of them. Mm -hmm. Let me call Jorge. Let me figure mm -hmm. it out. And then I was able to, you know, I was able to get my deductible money. Yeah. And so, like, I just think that that doesn't do anything. But the more we know about each other's culture mm -hmm. and struggles and, and how we're all affected by white supremacy. Yeah. I just really think that doesn't do anything but make it stronger as a community and create, like, brave spaces just to have a conversation mm -hmm. to really, like, 
get out any stereotypes, implicit biases we may have about one another, mm-hmm. and then really unpack that. And I don't think we we can do that more. Yeah. All right. We can do it and have those kitchen table talks. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we've been working in coalition with other groups like Equity Alliance or the mm. unions, and you know, we founded the Nashville Justice League in 2019. Um, to be able to unite our different communities and really build progressive power because at the end of the day, we're not going to win just by advocating for immigrants' rights right. or civil rights, but it's really about like coming together and realizing that we all face a common enemy. And so we have to um, have those conversations right. and, and build power together. And so I want to um, kind of talk about policy, right? That's mm-hmm. your background. And mm-hmm. policy, to me, like that's the issue, right? A lot of times is. Like when we talk about white supremacy being carried out, mm-hmm. a lot of it is in systemic policy that's, you know, being currently created or historically just been around and it hasn't been changed and like we have to change policy. So like Turk being like a statewide organization, mm-hmm. what pol- what can you, what are some anti-immigration or refugee uh, policies that are existing today yeah. that we need to be trying to combat and build around. Yeah, I mean, well, there's so many, yeah, unfortunately. Just <laughs> Tennessee has been a hotbed for anti-immigrant, um, anti-black policy, mm-hmm. right? Um, so at the moment at the state legislature, for example, we're fighting a bill that is aiming to keep undocumented kids from primary and secondary education, which is unconstitutional. Right. Um, but Representative Bruce Griffey from Paris, Tennessee, his sole mission of being in the legislature is to make Tennessee the most unwelcoming place for undocumented immigrants. He uses much nastier words. But um, wow. yeah, so can you imagine being from Paris, Tennessee, and the person that you elect to office to represent? you their whole focus is making life hard for undocumented immigrants instead of making life better for you by passing laws to increase access to health care access to education so, um, so, so yeah so lisa like who does that help who does that benefit like yeah. keeping you know kids toddlers mm-hmm. <laughs> right from receiving education like i don't mm-hmm. like yeah I I don't I don't understand I don't understand that yeah, why that would be somebody because that there's no common sense to it. <laughs> but like so people so for people who are so against those who are undocumented, mm-hmm. and I say this from a place of understanding, our country is a business, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. what is ultimately what yeah. it, our country is a business, and whatever quota quotas and taxes and everything the the money part that mm-hmm. that plays into well we can't have these undocumented folks here because of the business side. Mm-hmm. Right, but other outside of like mm-hmm. understanding our country is a business, mm-hmm. like what is is there is what is the harm? What yeah. is the harm of having uh, undocumented folks here? Mm-hmm. Right, what is yeah. who is that harming? Who would they harm? Yeah. What's the issue? Well, you know, obviously we would say there is no harm. And in fact, you know, the solution is to pass immigration relief and create more pathways to citizenship. Because the reality is that our immigration system is purposely built to keep people out, to keep out black and brown people. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of folks will say, well, why don't they just become citizens? Because they can't. Our immigration laws haven't been updated in over three decades. That is why we continue to fight for Congress to pass immigration relief. And it only benefits our country if folks can have access. Obviously, citizenship is not the be-all, end-all. We still know that there's racial injustice and there's a lot of work we need to do. But by allowing people to access citizenship, it really benefits all everyone, right? right? You have, just from an economic perspective, you have, you know, higher taxes. You have people in jobs. You have families that can stay together, that can create opportunities for their children um so yeah so it's it's really the question should be like why haven't we yet right figured that out <laughs> yeah what well, um do you know i guess compared to other countries like canada mm-hmm. or even you know mexico or any any mm-hmm. any other neighboring countries like far as immigration policy do we have one of the like strictest and compared to other countries immigration mm-hmm. policy for people who are trying to enter the country and become mm-hmm. citizens or are we you know in the middle pack or the degree of difficulty yeah you know it's really hard to compare because okay. countries have different reasons for right. their immigration policy so i think about like sierra leone for example there's a big lebanese community in sierra leone 
but um, Lebanese folks can't become citizens of Sierra Leone, right? right? And so part of that is because Sierra Leone government wants to keep uh, keep the country for black Sierra Leoneans, right? right? And not um, have Lebanese folks. Is that is that wrong? Is that, you know, is I don't that, know. Is that is that is that yeah? Is that wrong? Yeah. I would say in the context of America, like we know that we are stronger mm-hmm. when everyone has access to opportunities. Right. We know that there's plenty of uh, jobs, mm-hmm. of, um, you know, education, plenty of just opportunities for everyone, right? right? And it, that we need to be able to create um to create those, because like you said, what is the what is the point of keeping children out of school? And in fact, the Supreme Court, when it said that undocumented children had right to a free public education, it was because they realized that it didn't benefit the country to create um, a subset of citizens or, mm-hmm. or citizenry, right, um, yeah. of folks who were uneducated and didn't yeah. have that. Like they realized that no, we would all be better if everyone had equal access to education. Obviously, right. there's lots of problems with yeah. our education system, but um, yeah, that is at its core, you know, why the Supreme Court upheld that. I remember, like, growing up here, um, it was, like, a big push. It was, like, of just English first. English, yeah. we only want mm-hmm. English. Like, and I don't know. It's, like, a. It's. I don't even know if it's a fine line, but mm-hmm. it's, like, people, I think, confuse, like, like patriotism and mm-hmm. like we're proper to be American to like like to like uh, kind of harm mm-hmm. right and not really asking themselves like what really would you be giving up as a patriot if you let in this case kids mm-hmm. get an education yeah or you know come into the country and have a better you know better life and get away from mm-hmm. from war and crime yeah. and, or whatever it may be but I think um, Lisa um, I'm pretty sure if you were born and raised in the United States, you may have had these thoughts before because it's pushed on you. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, America should just be for Americans, even mm-hmm. though <laughs> how we would find it was rebellious. Yeah. And the way we the way we came to the resources we have, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't friendly or illegal or yeah. like non harmful in any way. But it's like it's been pushed now. It's like. American is proud. We should only have Americans. You're not. You're not from here. You're gonna. You're gonna take our jobs. Yeah. I still don't understand the taking 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 our jobs movement. Like I, I, I and yeah. people still like I'm saying they're gonna mm-hmm. steal our jobs. There's no not enough jobs. And so I just really, like, I just really don't understand it sometimes. Yeah. Like I, well, I, I think really it's don't. like that fundamental question of who gets to be an American and who gets to decide that. Right. Mm-hmm. The idea that there is uh, one American identity is right. just doesn't yeah. exist. Like, again, like, people don't right? think I'm American when, yeah. I, when I step outside the United States. That's not unless 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 I talk and they hear me. But or maybe clothing sometimes mm-hmm. can give it away. But yeah. I've never been mistaken for being American. Yeah, never. Yeah, not one time. Mm-hmm. Not step as soon as I leave the, the, this country. I'll use something mm-hmm. else yeah. because there's so much diversity of color mm-hmm. in other places, right? And people, I think, generally just see America as like a white place, mm-hmm. right? Just, yeah. Just whiteness, right? Which yeah. is, you know, control and power and resources. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. But like, but then it's like that whole thing that we that we preach, I think, mm-hmm. from a governmental level. Like everybody's yeah. welcome here. We're diverse. We're a melting pot mm-hmm. and all those things. But it's it's like, you know, that, that doesn't seem to reach yeah. <laughs> very well, far. Well, it reminds me of, I was at the legislature and one legislator who's a white, older man was asked me where I was where, what my background was or what my ethnicity was. And I said, I was Guatemalan American. And he said, you mean you're American, right? Like wanting to erase my Guatemalan identity. And it's just like, what does that even mean? Right? right? I was, I was born in Nashville. So by definition, I am an American. So why do you get to decide like what my identity is or what that, what that definition is? Right. This is is so unique (laughs) to hear too. Like, and how we use color to mm-hmm. identify each other and other people. Mm-hmm. And like, we just can't be like, like, we just can't just be just a nationality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, you don't, you know, you go to China, everybody's Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. You know, here's like, no, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a white American, black American, or which is I think is something I think that's that says something about us to want to have pride in something else other than just being strictly American, if you especially if you're just not white, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so it's just it's just ah just we just different. It is a yeah. different culture. And that's why sometimes it's good to leave and just mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just I don't have to think of I'll just Take a yeah. break from it, and then let me kind of enter back into it. And like it is every day, mm-hmm. it, it, every facet of our life is just embedded with it. Like everything, our, every culture is like literally has something attached to it. Whether you want to involve yourself in it or not, it, like it exists, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, yeah, it just and I know it's just so unique to like this the immigrant and refugee population because like those are just different stories different experiences that you know that every like it's just unique right and like how can somebody who's never experienced that kind of like tell you at states legislature like this is what you need or like this is what will help you or not help you mm-hmm. right it's yeah just, like english only for example <laughs> you're right, yeah right yeah like how yeah. Like, have those have those people ever tried to learn another yeah, language yeah, right well, like look yeah <laughs> like you just like in that, in that really and maybe more americans should leave because they really showed me like like you could be a doctor an attorney or how mm-hmm. a high level position um, or expertise in a whole other country but just because it's of the language, mm-hmm. you kind of have to mitigate yourself to like I, I have to I have to be a, a custodian mm-hmm. at this particular yeah. time of my life, or I have to you know be in hospitality, mm-hmm. not because I'm not um, capable. Mm-hmm. It's just literally I just don't have the words, yeah. or my schooling is not counted the mm-hmm. same. So I would have to go back and try to go through medical school all over again. And yeah. who wants to? Who wants to? Do and who that? wants to learn medical terminology in English in your forties, right? Like that just my, sounds my impossible. My Spanish medical terminology yeah. is <laughs> low because, <laughs> yeah. like, if you're not in that field, then if you like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't, yeah. what is Tylenol in Spanish? I don't yeah. know. Like, <laughs> well, and again, it's like thinking about the English only is like, why is the solution to force? To take away interpretation and translation, why is the solution not free English classes, right? Let's make sure that kids have all the resources they need in schools to learn English, have excellent ELL teachers who are paid well, right? Don't create barriers. (laughs) Exactly. Which we do, which our system does. Like, they identify the problem and then create systems that create barriers to get the Mm -hmm. problem fixed. Yeah. Like, that's what, that's what, that's what happens. Um, I could talk to you all day, Lisa, because I really can. Um, well, we need to have you over to our building. Have you been? I have not. Okay. I have not. I have not, but I want to You come. would okay. love our international night market, which will be in September. Okay. Um, but it's our largest fundraiser. It started out as the international food crawl, but has evolved with the pandemic. But okay. essentially, it is a worldwide tour of all of the best ethnic restaurants um, in Nashville. Okay. Um, So it started off, you get on a bus and we take you to restaurants all down Murfreesboro Pike, Nolansville Pike, um, Charlotte Pike. And now because of our new building and the pandemic, we're actually hosting a night market. So our first one was last year and we had 23 different countries represented in cuisine. Wow. wow. Um, and you get to come, be at our building, and taste great food, meet yeah. immigrant uh, yeah. restaurant owners yeah. um, and other folks, and you would love it. No, and I'm def- I'm de- I know I'm definitely going to love it, and I'm definitely going to – I live off of Nolensville Road now, so I'm always mm-hmm. like, I never need – what is that smell? Where, where's that coming from? So – and we have an international dining guide as well online if you want the oh. names of all the restaurants. We can share that with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, what are ways that people can support Turk, mm-hmm. uh, learn more mm-hmm. if they're watching this and listening to this and say, hey, I, 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 like, yeah, I have my thoughts about immigrants and refugees that may not be mm-hmm. correct, but I just want to learn and be able to have a conversation and yeah. and just learn more about their experiences and share my experiences mm-hmm. and, and things like what, what can people reach out to you or is, is yeah. there other team members at Turk? Or? Yeah, well, the first way is through social media. Mm-hmm. So at TN Immigrant is our uh, charity side and at Turk Votes is our political arm. So follow okay. both. We talk mostly about... Um, advocacy and policy and elections on our um, political arm side. So okay. that's at Turk Votes, T-I-R-R-C. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's the first way. Um, we also have w- website. 
Um, if you want to just learn more about immigration or you're trying to understand, we actually have um, a part, a core part of our work is called Belonging, Belonging okay. Tennessee. And it's essentially like helping debunk myths around immigration and, okay. and help people process demographic change. Um, and so Emily leads that work and she's been doing some really cutting edge um, narrative work around that's called deep canvassing, which is a tool that was used by um, the movement for marriage equality um, to win that fight. Um, but it's essentially like teaching people how to have deep conversations around mm -hmm. difficult issues in order to reduce bias. Okay. And so Emily has been doing leading that work and doing it and then has been teaching a class called um, Transformative Conversations that helps people learn how to deep canvas in their personal lives. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I see it here, narrative and engagement manager. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate you. You got to take this this home yes, with you. Yes, I'm going to take another piece. It's so good. No, you, you But y'all need too. some too. <clears throat> they don't. They don't <laughs> need none. But no, um, I really appreciate this conversation. And like, I, we're going to have to talk more. And yes. I want to like. I want to hear go all Guatemala. about wanna, China and Paraguay. <clears throat> and I want to go to Guatemala. I, yes. I, I didn't get a chance to go. It's one of the you know, most beautiful yeah. countries. I'm, I'm biased, but I'm it is. Known, <laughs> I've known people who's driven like from like Guatemala down to Costa Rica and, and stuff like that, but I didn't get a chance to do that to Panama and all that. But yeah. I'm gonna make my way to Guatemala. I have good Guatemalan friends actually. Mm -hmm. Um that I met just here randomly and then they, they was here visiting and they was like, Yeah, I'm from Guatemala and yeah, my uncle lives here, but I'm going back and That's you become amazing. social media friends and you just build a relationship. Yeah. Then they come back and you hang out. So yeah, I have to um I have to make my way down there. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you. Um thank you to the Adventure Science Center for yeah. sponsoring this episode and thank you all for watching and listening. And um Lisa, thank you again and thank you. Till next time. Yes, till right. next time.